Rewind is a production of Wisconsin Eye. To keep programs like this free and accessible to all, please consider a charitable gift to wisi.org slash donate or text WISI to 44321. Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. Republicans approve legislation that would let voters weigh in on when abortions should be prohibited in Wisconsin. Plus the latest shakeup in the redistricting battle. And we tell you how much of a tax cut you could receive under a new package of bills unveiled this week. All that and more on Rewind, your week in review for January 26th. Hi, I'm Emily Bannon. And I'm J.R. Ross. This week we're going to begin with the issue of abortion as we had a very dueling narratives here in the state of Wisconsin with Republicans trying to paint one picture while Democrats with Biden administration, a lot of stops this week, focusing on reproductive rights. We're going to get to that in a little bit. First, we're going to begin with Republicans passing a new bill that was fast-tracked through the legislature that would ask voters whether the state's current abortion ban of 20 weeks after pregnancy should be 14 weeks. Now the proposal does have exceptions if the mother ex is experiencing a medical emergency and exceptions for rape and incest. Now those exceptions were added through an amendment right before the bill reached the floor earlier this week. Governor Tony Evers has vowed to veto this. He highlighted this in the State of the State address. We're also going to get to that in a little bit later. Um, but the dueling arguments we heard during the debate is that Democrats continuously call this attack on reproductive rights because it would limit from 20 weeks to 14 weeks. Meanwhile, Republicans defended that, hey, you know, we're not making these decisions. Let's have the voters decide. Let's take a listen from both sides. Late stage abortions up till birth are extreme. And I believe the people of Wisconsin do not want the extreme. Like we heard from our colleagues across the aisle yesterday, the will of the people is the law of the land. It is about time we heard from the people what their will on abortion is. Put the question on the ballot. A vote against AB 975 is a vote against the will of the people. Young women growing up in this state will have fewer freedoms than their mothers, than their aunts, than their grandmothers. Let's trust women to make important personal reproductive health care decisions in consultation with their physicians and others who they choose to involve, not politicians and nobody else. We knew back in December that Assembly Speaker Robin Voss wanted to do something like this. It was floated by Senator Ron Johnson back during the midterms in 2022, you know, letting voters weigh in on what should be the prohibition here in Wisconsin. It also comes as Republicans in general have just really struggled with this issue. Now, I think the big question ahead is, is the Senate going to take this up? We've heard from Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahue really talk about this a few times, that he doesn't want to put his members through a tough vote, um, given the fact that Evers has already vowed to veto these measures. So if if it will get to that chamber remains to be seen. But again, this is Republicans trying to just say, look, we're trying to do something on this issue. Uh, the motivation is they want to talk about when abortion should be legal, not whether it should be legal. Democrats have won on the issue when the discussion is whether it should be legal time and time again. 
So the Supreme Court race last spring in Wisconsin, how that went. If they can change that narrative to what's the cutoff, what should it be? And they've argued that, look, you go to Europe and most Western countries, they're around 12 to 14 weeks. This is a, a good mark. But that tough vote you're talking about with Lemahieu, don't forget all four of the largest anti-abortion groups in the Capitol, including Wisconsin Right to Life uh, and Pro-Life Wisconsin, are opposed to this bill. They don't want Republicans to take up this, in their minds, a softening because the 1849 law is still a possibility. Now, we've kind of gamed this out with the state Supreme Court. If one gets that case, it's likely to overturn that law in some shape or form. The Dane County judge said it doesn't apply to consensual abortions, but that's not the final word, right? So for these anti-abortion groups, they don't want to soften this. In fact, a lot of members who don't like the idea of any exceptions or any abortion period, go look at the vote uh, on the floor. It was unanimous in the Republican caucus. There were about a half dozen or so Republicans voted against it. Chuck Wickers um, from South, uh, Milwaukee suburbs proposed a series of amendments to this bill. It underscores this is not a unanimous issue for Republicans when it comes to even putting it at 14 weeks. Right, and there was a lot of backlash at the public hearing on Monday before they amended the bill to add exceptions for rape and incest because looking at all the people that spoke at that hearing, I believe the only supporters were the bill sponsors. I mean, it was widely opposed um, from many groups like you mentioned and important to note that I believe it was 11 or 12 Republicans uh, joined Democrats in voting against it. Uh, another big issue uh, this week was redistricting as Assembly Republicans and the Senate uh, voted on a revised version of Governor Tony Evers' map proposals that he submitted to the state Supreme Court. But here's what it would do. It would reduce the number of Republican incumbents who would have to run against one another this fall. The modifications were passed by Republicans in hopes of preventing the state Supreme Court from picking new legislative boundaries that could be more beneficial to Democrats. What we heard from Republican leaders is that we are making very minor changes. It's 99.7 percent of Governor Evers' maps. Well, if it's not his maps, Democrats were saying we're not going to touch it. We're not going to support trying to save some incumbents here. Let's listen to some floor debate on this issue right now. If you wanted to work in a bipartisan manner to actually come up with a map that maybe we could have adopted today, our door is open. I've always said that we will meet on any bill at any time to try to figure out a way to move Wisconsin forward. This is not what we should be doing today. This is awful. This is terrible for the institution. And honestly, I'm embarrassed. This is crass, and this is blatant abuse of power. This amendment is the governor's submission to the Wisconsin Supreme Court with a handful of minor tweaks. And frankly, a veto of this bill by the governor, if he decides to go down the road of vetoing, will just show his true intent of trying to disenfranchise Republican voters around the state and the purely partisan attack that his maps made, made on us. This bill took a lot of Democrats uh, by surprise because it was late Monday that we found out the Senate is coming back in on Tuesday to vote on this bill, which was a proposal that would create the Iowa redistricting style model, nonpartisan redistricting process. But then there was this amendment added to it. Then late Tuesday, we were hearing that the Assembly might stay in to vote on this, but they ended up coming back on Wednesday. So Democrats which they have said multiple times on the floor is that they didn't have a time to review this. This was a rush process. Meanwhile, Republicans are almost just trying to figure out some other way to prevent the court from picking a map that they're not going to like. So this is Republicans' attempt to try and make the best of a bad situation and also underscores how much they are spooked, what the court could do, and how little faith they have the U.S. Supreme Court will step in and address this. So let's start with the question why they're spooked. There are six maps now before the court. The consultants hired by the justices, the liberal justices, 
uh, by February 1st, we'll have a report kind of evaluating these six maps about which ones best meet the court's criteria. Of the six, one is from public and lawmakers. It basically addresses the non-contiguous territory thing, which they take these municipal islands and absorb them into districts. Otherwise, doesn't address the partisan balance, which was a criteria the court talked about. Guess they're not going to take that one, okay? The other five all have pairs. And in fact, the governor doesn't have the most pairs. Looking at those maps, he has 15 pairs in the assembly proposed. Other maps have 18 and 19. Even Will, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, a conservative law firm that represents uh, Republican voters in this, they have more pairs in the assembly than the governor does, including a pair of Tyler August, the uh, assembly majority leader, with a freshman lawmaker. So it tells you Republicans go, okay, we have a problem. How do we address this? So this idea came up to take the governor's map and modify it. And I get why. You try and say, look, he went after us for partisan reasons. All these pairs are for partisan reasons. Um, we need to do something trying to address that, make it more fair. The problem is once you change his map, you give Democrats wiggle room to say, okay, number one, this isn't the governor's map. Number two, why would I vote for this? Oh, and by the way, people on the Democrat side of the aisle don't trust Robin Voss, the assembly speaker. Anything he's involved in, they assume he's up to something. He's trying to pull a fast one on them. So there's that skepticism. During the discussion Tuesday and into Wednesday, there was talk of taking the governor's straight map, just what the governor proposed, mm -hmm. put it on the floor. Democrats in assembly, from what Republicans said, rejected that. And the reason is simple. They don't trust Robin Voss. And two, they don't think there's an assurance from the Senate it would do that. Look at the votes. Yes, Republicans were unanimous in this assembly on passing the modified map there. In the Senate, though, it was 1713 on the modified map. There are four Republicans who voted against it. What's that tell you of the prospects of the governor's map getting through the state Senate, right? So there's your problem there. And all is working toward what's it going to look like. We'll get that uh, report on the first. The court will pick a map at some point. Now those consultants could draw their own map. The guess is they likely won't, that they will, you know, probably, probably, but, you know, say this map is a little bit better than this one, these ones met the criteria, then the court will pick something. We should know by mid-March what's going to look like, but I would bet February 1st we'll have at least an idea of the direction they're going and which maps are the best shot of becoming law in Wisconsin. Right, and we kind of have a breakdown to put this in perspective for our viewers here of just Governor Eber's map breakdown and how many people will be competing against each other. Let's start with the Senate. Like you said, there are six fours or six pairs. Four of them are Republicans running against Republican. One of those four pairs is a Republican versus a Republican versus a Republican. You can see it highlighted there. That is uh, uh, Senator Rob Coles, Eric Wimberger, and Andre Jacques. Um, also, you have some Democrats going up against each other. You have Melissa Agard and Kelda Roy's. Now we know uh, Senator Agard is leaving uh, to run for Dane County Executive, but someone you know, depending on what the district, will you need two people, one people? We'll, we'll yes. see. Um, then let's move over to the assembly. You're looking at 15 pairs. Again, this is Governor Evers' maps. Uh, 11 would be Republicans facing uh, Republicans. There'd be one Democrat versus Democrat matchup. And then three Democrats, or three matches of Dems versus GOP. So this really puts it into perspective of who's running against who. And, and the one, like you highlighted, I mean, you have Assistant Majority Leader uh, Tyler August running against a freshman lawmaker. So Republicans had this press conference trying to say, you know, regardless of what these maps are, I believe there was about six or seven Republicans up there saying, we're, regardless what the maps look like, we're going to move. I would love to see if that eventually happens, but they're trying to sell the, you know, the, paint the picture of that. 
you know, there's very minuscule changes here, and regardless of what the maps are going to look like, we're going to fight to try to have our representation in the legislature. But people argued to me this week that, look, if you're saying these maps are so partisan, so bad, but you're also saying we're going to run no matter what, it undercuts the message a little bit. Very true. And a couple of key things about the governor's map, so, and the changes they proposed. So Andre Jacques is one of those in that three Republicans in one seat. And there are a couple maps that have that if you look at all six. Andre is elected to an odd-numbered district in 2022. So is Howard Markline. And the governor's maps are both in even-numbered districts. Now, there's a big question there. They're elected to four-year terms. What happens? Now, obviously, if they were to move to the, let's say the governor's map becomes law, which is not a done deal yet. Let's say it does. They could move, obviously, to the redrawn district and be fine. There's no problem. They could also resign from the odd-numbered district and run for the even one this fall. No problem. What if they don't want to move? The uh, law forward firm, which represents the Democratic uh, voters who challenged the map successfully, there's a footnote in their brief that says, a 1983 Attorney General's opinion says, if you're elected to a district and the lines change, you remain the incumbent for the remainder of that term. So they're arguing that for Andre Jacques and Howard Markline, they would stay as the lawmakers of the 1st and 17th through the end of this term. But they then have to move to run again in 2026. So there's kind of like why Republicans with their change would move Andre back into the first, Howard back in the 17th, arguing that these guys are there. So that's something to keep pay attention to going forward. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of drama because this also shows you what's at stake. Very true. With mm -hmm. what's going on in the legislature. And also looking at the pairs on all the maps, all the non-legislative maps shows you there are so many Republicans and there is no way to draw a map that addresses partisan balance without pairing a lot of them. That's part of what's driving it. I mean, they're almost two-thirds of the chamber in this assembly. That's why there are so many pairs in all of the maps. Right, and the Senate is possibly in most of these maps proposals the big question ahead because if you narrow the majority there, a lot of tough votes possibly mm -hmm. in the future. And that's why Democrats are just trying to get a little bit of an edge with changing these maps. And I think we've said this on the show before, JR, but, you know, when you look at all the map proposals, by no means are Democrats going to take control um, and have the majority in both houses. But it's all about their messaging of, we just want to get a little bit more competitive to be able to, say, have maybe more seats on committee hearings, maybe have some of more of their issues uh, be addressed and negotiating to get the votes necessary, like in the Senate, which we've seen before, and other issues like the Brewers' shared revenue, working together along the lines. Um, all right, let's move on to, <clears throat> excuse me, also that happened this week was Governor Tony Evers' State of the State Address. It was a sixth state of address where he had some key new initiatives, um, but also reiterated a lot of his positions. Um, let's talk about some of the takeaways here. Um, the first one, which is the big one, I would say, is that he announced that he would be increasing access to emergency contraception for women on Badger Care. Another thing is he always does a theme. He declares whatever year it is something. So 2024 was the year of the worker as he focused on a lot of workforce issues. He also announced that he'll create an Interagency Council on Mental Health, another task force on health care, uh, addressing the workforce, called on lawmakers to find a solution to help save the child care industry, and vowed to reject any efforts to further restrict abortion access. He hit on reproductive rights, a very big theme that we heard this entire week across the state of Wisconsin. And he almost, uh, I would just say he almost, he also took a, a jab at his former Republican opponent, Tim Michaels, from the 2022 midterms. So let's just take a listen from Governor Evers talking about reproductive rights as 
Democrats really hope to capitalize on that issue again during this presidential year. Meanwhile, we had the response from Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, and here's what he had to say about his speech. For a decade now, 60% of Wisconsinites on average have consistently said they support abortion being legal in all or most cases. And yet, each time I've asked Republicans to restore Wisconsinites' reproductive freedom to what it was the day before the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe, they said no. And because of that, Wisconsin women spent over a year experiencing firsthand what it's like to live in a state that bans nearly all abortions. As another example, Republicans' last candidate for governor wanted to take those same freedoms and more away. You might notice he's not here delivering the State of the State address tonight. Uh, what we heard tonight was kind of typical Tony Evers. Not a lot of new ideas, a lot of rehashing of old things that have uh, been proposed over the course of the past few years and failed. Uh, that's different from what Republicans offered today, where we actually put forward four different proposals for Governor Evers to pick from. I was just disappointed that Governor Evers didn't bother to mention the size of the surplus or the ability for the state of Wisconsin to afford a large reduction in the amount of tax burden that people pay in Wisconsin. Now, you heard Assembly Speaker Robin Voss mention tax cuts. We're going to get to that very shortly. But, JR, any other uh, big takeaways that you, you saw? This was part victory lap, part call to action legislature, part I'm going around you guys to do stuff that you won't let me do. So one example, the Pelican River Forest, the Joint Finance Committee just in April of last year blocked using stewardship funds to pay for this one of the largest easement, conservation easements in state history. He found federal funds to do it. The emergency contraceptive thing, he's doing that without legislative approval. Then he had some calls like, hey, you guys should pass a bill to extend postpartum coverage under Medicaid to 12 months within 60 days. You guys should pass the PFAS bill to, or to release the $125 million. Like stuff that's probably not going to get done, but trying to put a little more of a screw to the legislature. Talking to people, the governor's strong point is not his speeches, right? Um, so it's, this is not a big moment for him. It's a good bully pulpit for him to talk about stuff. But he's hitting the right messages to his supporters of like abortion, key issue and it also hits home with the key constituency that's going to matter this fall. Oh, by the way, most governors I've co covered use the even numbered state of the state to set up the election. Right. They really look forward to that. Mm -hmm. This was a little bit about partisan look ahead to 2024. Right. Um, now let's talk about the surplus because uh, that was one thing we heard from some Republicans and Voss that you just heard of. You know, I hope we, I, I was hoping that he would talk about what we're going to do with the remaining of it, which is a little bit projected lower that we found some new figures this week. We'll get into that in a little bit. So let's just dive into what Republicans want to do with the surplus. It's a $2.1 billion tax package. Um, four bills. One of them would expand the second income bracket to include single filers. You can see there, there's a shift there. Same with married filers. It would move from 19, around $19,000 to $150,000. So it would fit in more individuals into that tax bracket. Uh, it would also increase income tax credit for married couples from $480 to $870. Also would expand Wisconsin's child care tax credit and exempt up to $75,000 on retirement income. So what does this mean for the average taxpayer? You're going to see on this next slide, this is what the savings would be under the GOP plan. You can see the breakdown. So if you're looking at around $70,000 to $80,000, your return would be about $273. If you're making more than that, closer to you know six figures, you're going to put about a $600 tax return, um, according to figures that we got this week. So Republican selling point was, hey, we've listened to you, Governor. You've rejected a lot of our uh, tax plans in the past. Um, this is what we got. 
we hope we can come and reach a compromise. Let's hear from Senator Howard Mark Line reiterate that theme. Governor Evers has said uh, many times that $150,000 is middle class. Governor, we heard you, and we look forward to getting this proposal on your desk for your signature. Don't know where the governor is on this yet. I would think some of these would appease him a little bit, um, but it kind of just remains to be seen what's, we haven't seen the bills exactly. We got revenue estimates on what they would do, um, but they're really trying to fast track this, just like we saw with abortion this week, to try to get this done as they're you know, on a tough timeline, about seven weeks left in the legislative session. It's also a sign they're not really confident the governor was gonna sign the $3 billion tax cut they sent to his desk a week ago. Mm -hmm. So. They are continuing to put pressure on him about using the surplus to go toward tax cuts. The challenge is politically that if you tell voters, Democrats want to raise your taxes, voters kind of go, okay, I know. Like that's the Democrats' reputation, right? So I don't know this is politically damaging for Democrats to not pass a new tax cut. Also, Governor Evers is keeping an eye toward 2025. Whatever's left in the surplus is going to be there for the next budget that he can do possibly with a different legislature. I mean, game it out, new maps, maybe a Democratic majority, one house or both houses, that could then be a whole different ballgame for that budget in 2025 than what he's used to last three cycles. All right, let's go on to topic five, and that is the Biden administration really barnstorming the battleground state this week. And that started with Monday with Vice President Kamala Harris holding a Fight for Reproductive Rights tour, kicking it off in Milwaukee. Then just yesterday, uh, President Joe Biden was in Superior talking about his economic agenda and some infrastructure funding uh, in Wisconsin. And then today, his Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, is in Milwaukee also talking about the economy. And this comes as... Uh, they, yesterday there was reports that the economy is looking healthy. Things are looking better. Um, and in a sense that the Biden administration is selling, us, selling this is that we are going to be avoiding the re looming recession that we kept hearing about. But if you really talk to voters and Americans, most of them are still kind of feeling a little squeezed. From an academic perspective, the economy is doing incredibly well. We're seeing records with the stock market. We avoided a recession, which most people thought there was going to be one. 3.3% right. growth in the fourth quarter. Those are all great things. Uh, inflation is coming down, but prices are still going up. And if you're paying more at the grocery store now versus four years ago, that's always the mantra you hear from uh, the minority party or the opposition party of, are you better off now than you were four years ago? Republicans feel confident the answer is no. You're going to hear them hammer about higher costs for food and energy going forward. Uh, Brian Schimming this week basically said the Biden folks are here constantly because they've already lost the hearts and minds of Wisconsin voters or if they're losing the election. Look, Wisconsin is the one swing state Joe Biden can't lose. I mean, all of them are important. Sure. But think about it. The states that really matter are, you know, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Arizona. Wisconsin is the one he cannot lose, period. If you lose a piece of the blue wall, you're in trouble. Now, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, North Carolina. I mean, there are other states you might throw in there as possibly in the mix, but we are always on the list. They've got to win this one. Going to a place like Superior, like Biden did talk infrastructure, you're getting a part of the state where it's not a huge population, but he got 53.5% of the vote in Douglas County, home to Superior, in 2020. Tilly Clinton did barely half. Doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it's but it those kinds of margins yeah. that help in a state that's 50-50 in a presidential election. And there's not a major media market up there, right? There is a media market there, but you're getting in front of people. And the challenge for the Biden folks is a place like that is it can't just be the one-day hit of the, the TV show, uh, newscast and the newspaper story. You have to amplify it through social media. 
through digital ads. You have to kind of bring it home, people in Douglas County and the surrounding area of, hey, you know, he was here talking about a bridge that matters to your life. That would help him a great deal. And Republicans keep countering that, look, you know, they're in trouble. And I expect that once the nomination for president of the Republican side is over, we'll see Trump and his associates here quite a bit as well because they know if they can take Wisconsin, it's almost ball game for the presidential race. I was just going to say we probably have maybe one or two more primaries. We'll see maybe after Super Tuesday if Nikki Haley is still in the race, and then I think it will be a lot more visits by the both of them yeah. coming in the coming months. All right, let's get to stock picks this week. And new this week, uh, we had some news with Senator Lena Taylor, who announced her resignation today, and Governor Evers appoint her to serve as a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge. So she's rising this week. Yeah, look, she's been looking for a way to capital for a long time. She ran for County Executive 2008. Mayor in 2020, mayor in 2022, briefly for lieutenant governor in 2021. This was judge last year and lost. You know, life in the majority or minority is no fun. So it's no shock you're looking for a way out. Oh, by the way, it's a pretty good uh, salary bump. So now the question for Lena is, okay, can you hold this seat next year? So the way it works, she appointed the rest of the term, Audrey Skaronsky, who was appointed director of state courts, fills her term, serves until 2025, has to face the voters then. Now. Lena has a dedicated band of supporters in her Senate district. She fended off a primary challenge from Mandela Barnes uh, back in the uh, years ago, 2016, I believe it was. So she's got that dedicated support. But her record countywide is not real great, or even citywide. So how does she parlay that into a win? Same time, um, it is hard to be an incumbent judge, even appointed. Do you find somebody's going to run against her? That's an interesting question. And she's got some baggage. She was pulled off the Joint Finance Committee some years ago by then went away to Jennifer Schilling because she had an incident with a bank teller. You know, Lena has a reputation for being sometimes a challenge to deal with. She's also a passionate advocate for her, for her, her constituents, which mm -hmm. engenders a loyalty for them. The next question is, who's going to replace her in the Senate? just going to bring it up. Lakeisha Myers already said she's going to run. The first question I have anytime a senator leaves is, okay, which sitting rep will run we'll for run the for seat? It. Because they have an impeccable record in special elections. Lakeisha's in, the others are Dora Drake. Uh, and Darren Madison was elected just in 2022 to his seat, so a little newer guy. So watch that. The other thing is the timing of the special election. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, there are basically no lines right now. The Supreme Court in December when it said the current lines are unconstitutional, said you can't have an election with those lines. So the timing of the special election is complicated by the fact there's no map in place right now. A side note, though, is looking at the governor's map and the one from, I believe, Law Forward, they don't touch a single district in Milwaukee that's majority black or Hispanic. It was a conscious decision to avoid getting the U.S. Supreme Court's uh, intention over a Voting Rights Act issue, but that gives some certainty of, okay, even with the new map, it's likely going to look like the current one we have, so Lakeisha should be in that district, Darren and Dora should be in that district, but the timing, when can you do it? Uh, because you have to have a, a map in place to have the special election. It's not going to line up with the uh, regularly scheduled spring elections, which we talk in May, and oh, by the way, other complicating factor is, if you want to run for that as a sitting rep, the window for nomination papers for the, your current seat is April 15th to June 1st. If that primary isn't done before June 1st, what are you going to do, right? <laughs> yeah. Because you're taking a risk. Can you get the signatures you need in a day? Yes. But a week would help, you know, because, <laughs> you know, if all three run, it's a free shot if it's the right timing. All three run, sure, that right. wouldn't be a shock, because um, you can see why, free shot. 
But if you lose, you have to have time to figure out, okay, am I running for my assembly seat? You know, what am I going to do? So there's a timing issue that complicates things. There's there. a lot of factors into play yes. with this. It's not just, oh, it's another special yeah. election. Now we got a whole redistricting battle ahead. All right, let's go to mix this week, and it's union membership with some new BLS yep. numbers. So new from the feds, we had an uptick. We dropped to a low in the last four decades last year, of, or in 2021, I'm sorry, 22, sorry, just 7.1% of the workforce was belonged to a union of 180-some thousand workers. It ticked back up to 7.4, which is a recovery of some, some bit. But still, we are way away from where we were three, four decades ago. Uh, we're talking back in 1983, like one every five worker was a, belonged to a union in Wisconsin. So the trend began long before Act 10 and right to work. What happened in the 80s was the kind of starting to the erosion of manufacturing construction jobs. They are heavy, relatively speaking, union industries for representation. When those jobs went away, there were fewer people who belonged to unions in the private sector. Then you have Act 10, which there was a dip right away after Act 10, a slight recovery in 2012 because there was like this surge of energy of, okay, we're going to fight back against Scott Walker. But then Right to Work came. Signed in 2015, it really undercut the movement. You see a big drop from Four, uh, 13, 14 percent in 2014 down to where we are right now. All right, and falling real quickly as the state surplus got new projections this week, just slightly lower than that $4 billion. So now about $3.25 billion. Part of that is the bill going to the legislature right now that would fund building the UW campus, part of the DEI deal that Robin Voss signed. So we knew that was going to happen. There's some softening of tax collections, about $420 million. The question always is, is that a blip or a trend? Now, the fact we got the GDP numbers the next, you know, basically this week saying there's growth in the fourth quarter, probably a blip, but it's more reason for Evers to say, look, we can't afford these tax cuts they're pushing for the legislature because I want to make sure we pay our bills in 2025. So it's one more reason for him to say no when it comes to tax cut. All right. Well, that will do it for a very, very busy week in politics. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next time. This program was brought to you from the Margaret Farrell Studio. Rewind, Your Week in Review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.